0: Hi everyone. It's the nineteenth of March, two thousand and thirteen. My name's Nick Hopwood. I'm from the University of Technology Sydney, and my podcast today is about the Hammersley framework for uh, critical evaluation of ethnographic research. But I'll be arguing of social science research more generally. Um, why am I doing this podcast? Well, I'm involved in teaching students about different research perspectives, and I do think it's important to understand that different kinds of research are trying to do different things and that we shouldn't judge one study according to rules that they're not trying to follow or according to quality criteria that they are not trying to meet. For example, it's no good judging an ethnography according to the rules and criteria of a post-positivist randomised control trial. However, some people have argued that research should therefore be evaluated entirely according to the terms of reference or the rules or quality criteria within a particular perspective. Um, so that post-positivist research gets judged according to post-positivist rules, interpretivist research gets judged according to interpretivist rules and criteria, and postmodern or post-structuralist research gets judged according to what they say good research would be. But there is a real risk here, I think. We could have, and there are lots and lots and a growing number of different perspectives and approaches, there is a risk that a completely daft approach, really kind of crazy and wacky, could emerge. And then if enough people started writing about it, perhaps they created their own online journal, they could internally, as a group, view particular research practices as coherent and good, um, and there'd be no external reference point for saying, hang on a minute, that's a load of rubbish. Um, I'm not saying I think that has already happened, but there is a risk. Um, and there are perhaps suggestions some people might already feel this is happening in some aspects of social science, that the definition or the kind of a meaningful use of the term research is under threat and that we might evacuate all meaning out of the word social science or research with some of the approaches that might emerge, because as long as we only judge research according to its criteria within the particular kind it is, there is no way of stepping outside of that and saying, actually, I don't think that's any good. I was taught educational research methodology in 2001 and 2002 in the University of Oxford, and was introduced to Martin Hammersley's framework for critical readings of ethnographic research. Hammersley is a British ethnographer, and he, in a sense is quite well known for having a relatively strong empirical thread in his arguments about what good research is, and particularly ethnography. And that partly comes from the fact that ethnography is done differently in different disciplines and in different parts of the world and has changed historically. And Martin Hammersley is one of a number of people who uh, promote a particular version of ethnography, which actually I quite like, which has a strong sense of evidence, and um, dependence on evidence. I think Hamsley's framework has a lot going for it, both as a a framework for critiquing ethnography, but as the subject of this podcast is, about things uh, that we might apply to social science research more generally. What I'm going to do is briefly introduce key aspects of his framework, and then I'll discuss why I think it works more widely Um, as a way that perhaps we could critique almost any social science research, almost any. And I'll conclude by identifying what I see not as a gap in his framework, but as something which I think is perhaps underplayed, although it fits and has a clear role within it. So let's start with some of the key points. The framework I'm referring to is written up in the second chapter of Reading Ethnographic Research, A Critical Guide which is written by Martin Hammersley and published by Longman and now has a number of editions. Firstly, I'd like to mention that Hammersley adopts explicitly kind of an anti-realist stance in that he's saying that in the outcomes of research, in the claims we make, there are things like modes of writing which matter. So how research gets written, the rhetoric we use, cannot be ruled out of this process of research and assessments of its quality. There is always selection and interpretation, and where there is selection, there cannot be entirely objectivity. I'm hoping to do a podcast or a blog about kind of the death of objectivity and why I don't think objectivity is a good thing at another time, but I won't get distracted with that here. Um, and there is always interpretation, and I think. Whilst this is obvious in ethnography, it applies no matter what kind of research we're doing. Firstly, Hammersley suggests we need to identify and critique the research focus. Now, in his terms, the focus is the broader problem or topic that is of general concern or can be justified as being important. It includes the kinds of questions we're asking and the justification we give for why those questions matter. The so what question that examiners or reviewers often ask starts with Hammersley right from the articulation of the focus. What focus is this? Am I clear about it? Is it clearly bounded? Is it too big, too small? Is it meaningful? Should anybody care about it? So then from this focus we get to what he calls the case or cases studied. Now, I'd like to be clear here. Martin Hammersley is not suggesting that all ethnography is a case study. And there is case study research and there is ethnographic research, and the relationships between those are very complicated. But all research, or nearly all research, involves selecting a particular instance or case or cases of something. It's quite rare to study the entire population to which our focus relates. There is usually a selection in space. We're looking at a particular country or city or school or institution. There are selections in time uh, or there might be other kinds of selection. So Martin Hammersley uses this term, the cases studied, to basically refer to what the empirical scope of social science research is, So, it's within the broader focus, which is the topic that's interesting and important. We then look at particular instances of that or the case. And Hammersley tells us we have to be informed about the reasons for those selections and what impact they have on any relationships between what the study actually is about and that broader focus. So, we have to care about those relationships between the focus. And the case is studied. We don't take that relationship for granted. Hammersley talks about the methods used. And in my interpretation, they're a kind of bridge between the case or cases studied and the claims that researchers then make. Methods used includes things like sources of data, the relationship between the researcher and the people studied, analytical techniques and ultimately evidence. Now, sources of data in his ethnographic world might include observations and interviews and the variation between and within forms of data. Um, The relationship between the researcher and the people studied shows that Hammersley is very aware that research is not kind of a purely objective endeavour and that in social science, as researchers, we're also people who have relationships with those people with whom we are Studying, or who our interest in research is about analytical techniques might be more or less well described; they may be more or less systematic or rigid in their application and there's no one right answer to this in Hammersley that it does entertain possible variation in this one of these each of these things is not judged in vacuo by itself or according to a textbook rule rather. The methods are brought in as this bridge between cases and claims, about evidence and argument. So what are these things called claims? The claims made relate to the case or cases studied. Okay, So researchers have a broad focus. They then go more specific and take a particular case which they get empirical data about. And the claims are made about that case on the basis of that empirical data, which is generated and not collected. And there's a brilliant blog by Pat Thompson about that, if you want to follow that up. Hamsley talks about different kinds of claim, descriptive claims, definitional claims and explanations. And I'd like here to point out that I think it's really nice in Hamsley that he's talking about ethnography, Randomised controlled trials and experimental studies are not the only studies, in my view, and also in his, that can explain something and even make causal kind of claims. There are also value claims, which still, in Hammersley, we treat according to their relationship to the evidence gained or generated. Now, what's important is that in the methods there, we have quality criteria that we associate to the processes and the outcomes of data generation. So we critique the methods that were used, but also the quality of that evidence. We don't take it for granted. And so the link between claims made and the cases studied has this evidence in the middle, which we judge in its own terms, and we also judge in terms of whether it supports the claims that are made. Now, conclusions in Hammersley relate to the focus Remember, we started with the focus as that broader topic of what's interesting or important or significant or is a problem. Now, we can make the leap from claims to conclusions through theoretical inference, empirical generalisations and another a number of other practices. And again, we need to care about the relationship between claims and conclusions. This distinction is really important. And on page 36, Hammersley says why. I quote, The distinction between the two is important because assessing the validity of such generalisations, by which he means conclusions, is an added task over and above the assessment of the claims themselves. What he's saying here is that the criteria for assessing claims and the criteria for assessing conclusions are not the same. And I think that's really important. Claims are highly linked to our evidence. And are related to the cases studied. Conclusions relate back to the focus. And the conclusions have to say something about the focus. Something may be a very, very good claim. With great evidence base. And a strong link to the case studied. But it's not a conclusion. It's a poor conclusion. Because it doesn't relate to a focus. The conclusion has to do something else. So, next part. Why I like the Hammersley framework and why I think it applies more widely than as a critique of ethnographic research. One of the appeals for me is the strong role that evidence plays in Hammersley's framework. Now, before all the post-structuralists strike me down, I have, believe it or not, heard of the crisis of representation, and neither I nor Hammersley are naive realists. But, as a social scientist, I want to preserve some elements that I think are crucial there are three. Number one, room for the world to speak back, to surprise me, to challenge my assumptions and expectations. And to do that, to let the real world influence me, I have to give it some kind of agency or power in my research. And for that, it's through the evidence that's generated. I also think personally, that in social scientists, as social scientists, we need to avoid being ambivalent about concepts of or relationships we have with data and evidence. Just because, as poststructuralists will tell you, we don't have direct access to reality, and because we are involved in the production or generation of evidence, doesn't mean that anything goes. I don't think contemporary paradigms or perspectives, post-structuralism, postmodernism, critical approaches, are an excuse for being flabby with our evidence. Or what it means to generate evidence of something. Thirdly, I think in social science it's crucial to have a balance between accepting that there are multiple valid interpretations of a particular event. Or multiple interpretations of the same set of data on the one hand. And the use of evidence to constrain what we can say about the world and to strengthen the warrants for the things we do claim. So I'm not suggesting that evidence automatically produces one set of claims and there is no room for manoeuvre in that. Yes, there are multiple sets of claims we might make, but evidence has to play a role in constraining that. And we have to use evidence to strengthen the warrants of the claims we can make. Other reasons I like this framework are because it explicitly gives us different criteria for assessing claims and conclusions. Too often, I've seen students or other researchers criticise an author's general conclusion as if it were a specific claim. Claims and conclusions are different and have different links to evidence. It's not that conclusions have no basis in evidence, but they have to go beyond that and draw on a range of things like theoretical inference, creative insight, perhaps even speculation, to argue, suggest, or consider what the claims mean for a wider issue. A student or a researcher would be right to debunk or criticise a claim because it had a poor or shoddy evidential basis, particularly in terms of its relation to the case studied. But to say that of a conclusion I think is unfair because in conclusions we're wanting researchers to take their claims and do something with them. So in that process there is a distance on the evidence and the case studied and we get back to the research focus so I like Hammersley's framework because he explicitly makes us pay attention to that difference we don't criticize conclusions as if they were claims and conclusions can be speculative suggestive or argumentative and other things another reason I like Hammersley's framework is that methods are not a question of application of techniques but are linked to the relationship between claims and evidence. Methods underpin the generation of evidence and the analysis and interpretation of that evidence, which leads to claims. Methods are centrally woven into the heart of research and not reduced to off-the-shelf techniques that are simply applied. So does a framework for critiquing ethnography really apply to other approaches in social science? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, yes, I cannot think of a research approach, positivist, feminist, critical, action research, post-structuralist, whatever, where any of the following wouldn't be important or reasonable as grounds for judging quality. Here we go. Number one, the justification of an important focus. Number two, a clear relationship between that focus and the case or cases studied. Number three, robust methods creating rich, strong evidence as a basis for meaningful claims that can be traced back to that evidence. And four, wider conclusions that move beyond but have a basis in the claims made. All of those things, which are essentially the Hammersley framework in a nutshell, in my view, I think apply to any kind of social science research or useful questions to ask. I'm not suggesting that this does away with the need for clear ground rules specific to particular approaches. For example, the design of randomised control trials or other conventions and assessments in terms of what kinds of evidence are generated or what relevant conclusions mean. This framework doesn't cover everything, but I've yet to find an instance where the questions it leads us to ask were not useful in thinking about the quality of the research at hand final section, what might be missing from Hammersley's framework? And I say this reluctantly because I don't think it's missing so much as something that's perhaps underplayed. Those of you who have been reading my blog posts will detect a thread of references to aesthetic dimensions and qualities in research. This is something that isn't highlighted so strongly in Hammersley's framework, but which I'm increasingly seeing as important. And much of this is through reading work of Italian scholars like Silvio Garardi and uh, Antonio Strati in practice based studies in organisations. By aesthetics in research, I'm thinking of things like number one, a well articulated focus that is precise and specific without closing down on the richness of key concepts, number two, an elegant or parsimonious design and qualities like richness and texture in evidence generated. Number three, a balance between complexity, precision and tolerance of ambiguity in claims made. Number four, scope for creativity, inspiration, intuition and gut feeling in the process of making claims. Not throwing evidence out of the window, but allowing artistry, to come into the way we engage with evidence. Five, a certain quality in conclusions that appeals to and connects with readers and engages audience. These are not the only aesthetic dimensions of research, and after I've written the script for this podcast, I've also thought about things to do with um, the our sensibility as observers or the way we engage with research participants and develop empathy with people, all sorts of things which I think an aesthetic concept covers quite neatly. Now, let me be clear, I do not think Hammersley rules aesthetics out, so much as I'm not sure he creates an obvious space for them in his framework. So what I'm advocating is a kind of Hammersley plus. Aesthetics and aesthetic dimensions don't, in my view, run against any of the key tenets of Hammersley's framework. I don't mean that we insert beauty or taste in place of concern for the quality of evidence and its relationship to the claims we make. But there is a risk that Hammersley's framework can be interpreted and applied as a rather dehumanised technical process in which evidence is everything and the researcher is nothing. This is not what Hammersley is arguing, and Hammersley explicitly counters this in his own writing. But I have seen this construction of his standpoint and his work used by others who prefer to treat data and evidence more loosely. So others are presenting Hammersley in a way which I don't think is necessarily a fair reading. So I'm arguing for Hammersley in what I believe is the original spirit of his framework but I'm also arguing that it may be extended in its application beyond a critical reading of ethnography to a wide range of social science approaches. I'm also suggesting within the spirit of Hammersley's original framework, we might benefit from attending to aesthetic dimensions more explicitly. That's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Bye bye.